welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, and welcome to the Hacker Factory podcast. I am your host, Philip Wiley. I refer to myself as the Hacker Maker because I teach pen testers as well as mentor aspiring pen testers. And this show is an extension of those efforts. Each episode, I have someone that uh, works in cybersecurity, ethical hacking, pen testing, application security, physical security, all sorts of areas. And so the goal of this show is to share those stories to help people that are wanting to get interested you know, some of these people, the stories may click with you more and maybe just what you need to motivate you to get started. And today, I'm very honored to have my friend and fellow Hacking is Not Crime advocate, John Jackson. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I appreciate you joining us today. Could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a senior application security engineer, and I double over as a security researcher on my free time and the, the founder of Sacro Samurai. Oh, cool. So uh, how long have you been doing the security research? So uh, not even a full year, to, to be honest. I think I'm, I might have uh, started in late or, or mid-2020, actually, um, and I started accidentally. Oh, cool. So what, what platforms do you, do you bug on, 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 if you don't mind sharing? Sure. So um, mostly our group focuses on vulnerability disclosure programs. Um, and as far as bug bounty programs go, we typically uh, use bug crowd, but sometimes hacker one. I mean, we're, we're pretty neutral when it comes to what we'll use. Uh, but, you know, our end goal is more of, getting some high impact research and, and getting enterprises to fix bad, bad security. Oh, very cool. I used to be a bug crowd ambassador and that was kind of, I kind of got into that to try to help people get started in, in bug bounty. Cause it's a, you know, a good way to get experience. So, you know, based on your experience, do you think that's a good way for people to get experience that want to be pen testers or application security analysts? So to be completely honest with you, so mm-hmm. it, it, it is a little bit of a loaded question, but I would say, not exactly. Um, okay. I, I think that capture the flags and hack the box and try hack me are, are better ways to to start, uh, especially when you're new, because bug bounty programs, especially if they're public, because you have to start with public programs, are pretty pretty hardened. You might find some low hanging fruit, but it's not going to be like hacking on try hack me or hack the box. So I think when you're learning, it's it's better to use more uh, guided platforms. Try hack me being more guided. Ha- uh, hack the box being a little less uh, less in, involved for the be- beginner, per se, I would say. Uh, good advice. Yeah, one of the things that I, that I know too is the bug bounties, like you said, they're they're not easy because I've been a pen tester for years and trying to do bug bounty. I'm just really in awe of anyone that can make a living solely off doing bug bounty because you know it's kind of like hunting 
or, you know, someone that's a hunter gatherer for, for food. You know, if you can't find food, you don't eat. And the same thing with, with bug bounty, if you don't find bugs, you don't get paid. And so it seems like it forces you to be better at your trade, you know, whereas a pen tester, you go in and run the pen test. If you don't find anything, you still get paid. So it really seems like a way to, to force you to work harder and think of things in a different way. You know, uh, there is a common theme um, among the best uh, bug bounty hunters out there. And the theme is automation. They, they automate a lot of these uh, scanning processes to find the low-hanging fruit before anyone else does. Um, today is new. I think he's one of the best bug crowd people. He has automation workflows where he can basically uh, nab all the s- subdomain takeovers before anyone else. So, you know, if they misconfigure, if there's a dangling DNS record somewhere hanging around, you know, he takes it over in in, in two seconds before anyone else. So, yeah, when you think about it like that, it's like the experienced hunter versus someone someone new getting into it. They're not going to find that subdomain takeover when when they're going up against him because he's just he's got it mapped out. It's his it's his career. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I got to to meet him at one of the bug crowd bug bashes in San Francisco back in 2019, right before right before summer camp. And it was interesting talking to him. And also we interviewed him for the uh bug bounty summit for uh for Grey Hat last year. And it was interesting hearing his story that that's all he does for a living is is bug bounty. So that takes some some real talent to be able to do that full time. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. So bug bounty is more where we turn if we find something um, that happens to be on one of those platforms. Like we don't solely go on bug crowd and hacker one and start hacking. We usually start with vulnerability disclosure programs or, or one of us stumbles upon something weird because that's what happened uh, with Keybase actually when, when we uh, hacked Keybase. Oh, cool. So what resource do you use? Are you a fan of disclose.io for some of your disclosure type information? I'm a huge fan of disclose.io. I got involved pretty early in the process um, and I try to help people get disclosure. Um, You know, it's a major theme to see a lot of instances where researchers stumble upon vulnerabilities. You know, it, it, it seems impossible, but it, it actually happens all of the time, especially when you start to, to get in that offensive mindset. Um, and it's awful when you don't know who to, who to disclose to. So Casey making that program is just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Could you describe what that is for, for our, our listeners? What Disclose.io is? Sure. So um, it's a, it's a lot of different things. So the aspect that I'm involved in is the community portion of it where researchers can, you know, share their write-ups and share, share their work. And if they don't know who to talk to basically um, to get disclosure for vulnerabilities that they may have found, you know, maybe they're struggling. Um, maybe there's no security team, you know, there's a, a lot of different scenarios. They can go there and, and look it up. Um, but overall the goal of it is for, uh, enterprises and, and, and different entities to kind of just pick up the idea of vulnerability disc- disclosure programs and getting on board with um, encouraging researchers to disclose to them and understanding, you know, that it shouldn't be something that, that will be punished. And Casey and uh, the rest of the people that work with them do a pretty good job of, you know, making like boiler templates for, for programs uh, for these companies that want to get involved. 
That's good. And it's probably good resource for people to get information. I had someone asking me a while back, they found a bug on some website and I just kind of referred them to disclose.io because it's a really good place to find information on how to approach those things that they don't have bug bounties and and that sort of thing. Because you definitely want to be careful when you're you're doing this stuff. You'll get yourself in trouble because you hear the horror stories of people that like, especially the one that, that I think of the most is the the DJI drone that there was the bounty for that. And they found the bugs and it reported it and they were like trying to sue them or something and and they followed pop- proper procedures. So you have to really cover yourself. You know, there's there's a lot of situations like that. Um, I had my own run in with, with Talkspace. That's what started me in security research. Uh, they sent me a cease and desist letter, uh, which was, it was hilarious uh, because I had basically found a business logic zero day where I could just get uh, online therapy for free and just you're talking thousands of dollars of, of free stuff. Um, and they said it wasn't a phone. They, oh, wow. they said it wasn't a vulnerability. They said they have processes processes uh, in place to basically disable accounts that are abusing that. But that was not the case because I had a few friends try it out for me and go through the whole thing. Um, and that it, it just wasn't the case at all. Um, so when they said it was not a risk at all and it wasn't a vuln, I said, okay, well, I guess I'll just publish on it. And then, you know, I did a little blog right up and next thing you know, I had a cease and desist letter. <laughs> so it was, uh, that was, but I didn't know anything about research at that point in time. It was, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, I was, I'd like to say I was out of scope, but with business logic flaws, it's, it's so complex, you know, in the sense of they kind of bake that functionality in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of learned the hard way or that would had to be kind of a scary situation. It was, it was very frightening for me because I didn't know anything about research. I didn't have resources. I didn't really know people in this field. Um, so I reached out to Zach Whitaker and he, uh, uh, from TechCrunch, and he, he actually wrote, wrote about the cease and desist letter. So, um, and they backed off, but I still took the blog down because I just didn't want to get uh, you know, wrapped up in a legal, legal battle with those, with those guys. Very interesting. And kind of speaking along the same lines and projects that, that uh, Casey's a fan of, uh, the hacking is not a crime. You're an advocate for hacking is not a crime. Could you explain to our listeners what that is and what you do as an advocate? Sure. Um, so yeah, overall hacking is, is not a crime. It's just, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's redefining the hacking space and helping people understand, and especially people that are non-technical understand that when a hacker finds a vulnerability and, and reports it, it's not a criminal act, right? They're doing them a solid, uh, they're basically doing them a favor. And along with that, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects that, that really comes with it. Uh, one is the whole argument of, of different hats, like black, white, and, and gray hats, um, and kind of re- redefining that space a little bit. And the other is calling criminal actions um, or associating criminal actions with hackers, right? Um, someone will leak a, a database, right? Or hack in and ransomware a company and they say, hacker did this. Um, hacker, you know, ransomware is whatever company and, and uh, you know, says they'll release the data if they don't get the ransom. That 
it's problematic because there's a lot of us out there and, and we're trying to change the space. We're trying to secure these organizations, some, sometimes externally when you talk bug bounty programs and vulnerability disclosure programs and CVEs even. Um, and then other times internally, right? People that are penetration testers, uh, people that are red teamers internally for com- companies, you know, uh, this is what it takes to secure secure the space basically. And and it, it really hurts us when, when hackers are, are getting that rep just by using the word hacker. People think that it, it's bad and, you know, it makes it difficult for us to operate within the, the space, the legal spaces, you know, in the job spaces. Yeah. And that's one of the things you run into. I'll describe to people before in the past what I do for a, you know, a job as a penetration tester. And it's easy sometimes to say you're an ethical hacker, but it, so many times people will come up, is there such thing as an ethical hacker? It's like, well, not, you know, it's just like people, you know, there are good people, there are bad people. Not all people are bad. Not all people are good. So you just can't lump everyone into one basket. So that's really, really good. What hacking is not a crime is doing, get out there, get awareness that, you know, not all hacking is bad It's needed. You know, if it wasn't for pen testers, hackers, and, and researchers, you know, there'd be a lot more vulnerabilities out there. It would be only the bad guys doing doing the hacking. So it's a much needed uh, space and then it needs to be respected and uh, the value needs to be be understood. Otherwise, you know, we'd be in a lot worse place than than what we are. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's complex too, even, even to a, a specific sense of the phrase ethical hacker as well, right? Because ethical hacker is such a, it's such a loaded phrase. I, I really don't like, uh, how they coined ethical hackers a thing. I, I get why they did it, right? Because obviously old school hackers that wanted to make a living out of it needed to push kind of into a new space, right? A new territory where they could se- secure enterprises for a living. But so they obviously had to push that that kind of phrase. But ethics are not equal to, to what necessarily is legal or isn't legal per se. And that's where it gets really philosophical and, and strange in, in a real kind of twilight zone, right? Um, it's like, would you say it's ethical to, you know, expose child abusers or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like by hacking them, right? Someone might argue, yes, but that, but in how that corresponds to the law is, well, yeah, it's against the law to hack into someone's computer without access, right? So, so when you think about something like that, it, it gets complex because um, ethics do not, calling someone an ethical hacker just doesn't coincide with the actual hacking field in general. Um, because I, I, I think like securing a, a corrupt organization, for instance, that like spies on Americans, would that be ethical? Well, in the sense of ethical hacking, it would be because you're helping them secure secure the company, right? But mm-hmm. in the but in like the the broader sense of philosophy and ethics, it's it's not ethical. So it's it's really it just needs to be redefined. That we we all kind of need to work on this together, like in the media, uh, and we need to look at intent. It's all about intent. Everything intent. Yeah, that's a good way to, good way to explain it. Need to not even have to use the word ethical in it at all. Do you say ethical, ethical doctor? I mean, yeah, there are ethical <laughs> and unethical doctors. There are doctors that malpractice, right? But you don't necessarily say ethical doctor. You say you're going to the doctor's office, not my ethical doctor's office. It's just, yeah. it's strange to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't want to go to the sketchy doctor, but. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, we kind of, when we got rolling into the show, kind of uh, totally skipped over your background. Could you share your background, how you got started? Yeah, uh, it was random, completely random. I, I was going to school for philosophy. Actually, at the time, I loved philosophy, but I knew it wasn't really going to get me anywhere. Um, at, well, I mean, it could have, but I didn't really want to be a teacher. And that's honestly all you could do with a philosophy degree. Uh, and I, I get a random phone call from LeaderQuest in Denver. And they were just like, do you want to be a hacker? And I just kind of laughed. It was because I, I was very non-technical. I had I dabbled with computers a little bit when I was 13 or 14, but I didn't program. I didn't hack. You know, I wasn't involved in that scene early on when I was young, like a lot of hackers were. Um, I was 23 years old. And I just said, what? No, it's something like that. Or, or I don't know. What, what are you even talking about? I have no technical skills. And they said, just come on down here. We'll teach you everything, a whole boot camp program. And yeah, uh, I went down to the school and they kind of sold me on it. Started at Idle, ended with, you know, when Idle, A plus, Sec plus, uh, C and D, and then Certified Ethical Hacker. I just went through the whole suite, just started getting certs and learning on learning hacking on my own through YouTube videos. Um, and yeah, it was, it kind of just sparked an entire life-changing experience. Oh, awesome. That's really cool. Interesting how people get started. And that's one of the things that I like about the, about the show is just hearing people's origin stories, how they got started in the business. So how would you recommend someone starting out that wanted to, you know, get a job as a hacker or pen tester or security researcher? What would you recommend? My biggest recommendation would be, well, I, I think there's a, a couple of aspects to it, but one of the things I really want to stress is everyone's journey is going to be different. You know, if if you think you want to get into information security by getting a college degree, then do it. If you think you want to get into InfoSec by getting certifications through a boot camp, then, then do it. There's no right way. I mean, my way was certification boot camp. But I mean, honestly, I could have cut out half of those certifications. I could have just went and got a CEH and a Security Plus and probably found an entry-level job in information security. Um, but you have, to, you have to try to pivot in a sense, right? I, I hear a lot of people give, it's not necessarily bad advice, but probably not the best advice where they're like, you should go work at a help desk for a couple of years you know, kind of get your, get the hang of it. The, the skills you learn at a help desk are completely different than the skills you're going to be uh, utilizing as a security analyst, utilizing as a hacker, uh, a hacker, right? A pen tester, uh, AppSec engineer, uh, you know, endpoint detection response engineer. There's so many different fields and, and it's really wide. And I think that people should widen, widen their view, right? Like if they want to be a penetration tester, don't be afraid to just dig into an information security job, anything you could really find to, to kind of get a, a start because it's really hard to just go from nothing to pen tester. It's not impossible. I mean, you you wrote the pen tester's blueprint, right? It, it's definitely possible if, if you go through the right stages, CEH and getting OSCP and getting education and really getting hands-on. Um, those are things you can do that, that help. But um, like for people that want to be pen testers, they should... They should grip onto the infosec field 
and just start trying to pivot where, where they can. You know, you don't have to stay there for two years, three years. You can stay for a couple months. Um, it's just, it's that weird kind of place where recruiters want to recruit people that already have jobs. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah. Those are very good points, you know, cause you, and then if you start, depending on where you start out, you can get stuck on help desk for a while or something like that, get discouraged. So yeah, definitely, you know, try to get started in security because, you know, having security experience makes it easier to get a pen testing job than, than not having it. But if you can get jump straight in, then more, more power to you. So, so, yeah, so exactly. Speak, speaking of books, uh, do you, don't you have a book coming, coming out? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, actually Kim Crawley that did, did uh, edits for me. So I actually hired her uh, to do edits, like pre-edits the edits because I wanted it to, to be pretty good and, and sound. Um, and yeah, the book that I'm coming out with is, is called corporate C- cybersecurity. Um, and basically it's about, uh, managing the aspects of, of bug bounty programs and, and setting it up. But I took a different approach to it. Um, I didn't want to just talk about configuring programs. I wanted to talk about the theory of, uh, of a hacker's mindset too, and what you're, you're dealing with and how you're coordinating when you are a bug bounty program manager. Because I manage a bug bounty program day to day. And I can tell you right now that coming from the aspect of someone that has hunted and reported bugs before and hit critical bugs, you know, hit high bugs. I can tell you that if there's miscommunications in, in the process and the chain, it's just gonna make it so hard. Um, and I think a lot of times on both uh, sides of the house, there's just sheer mismanagement. Um, whether it's an AppSec engineer that's not understanding the severity of the vulnerability or Vice versa, right? Where a hacker thinks that they have something extremely critical, but it's it's nothing, right? It's a big nothing burger. Um, so, and that happens. It it does happen from time to time. But you have to be able to communicate that as an application security engineer. Hey, this is why the impact, you know, why there's the impact is much lower than what you're reporting. Or as a hacker to say, hey, well, uh, here's why this is pretty bad from my perspective, you know, let's discuss. Communication is a big part of the book, but I, I do get technical in some aspects talking about specific vulnerability types and understanding kind of red herrings there. Yeah, it sounds like a good concept because, you know, while there's some books on bug bounty, but to get into those details, that's really a missing piece there. So I think it should be should be a good book and good good call on getting Kim to do the edits. I bet you had probably less edits from her doing it. Cause I know when we were going through our book, there really wasn't that many edits. It really wasn't that bad. <laughs> I'm still going through the process. Uh, the book is, um, will come out uh, later this year, probably in, in the fall. I think they pushed it back to, because, you know, they, they have their schedule of, of when books come out. Um, but I would imagine, yeah, they're not going to have to do a lot of work. I saw the amount of edits Kim did, you know, because you could actually see like the differences between two docs. And I was, blown away with with how many edits she did it was ridiculous she she cleaned up the book a lot not i mean i'm, I'm a decent writer but yeah she really she really fine-tuned fine-tuned the book pretty well combed through it let's get who, who's the book being published there it's being published through wiley okay that's good. so it's pretty cool um i i will say 
I am a little worried because there are a lot of people that, that want to read it, but I, it's going to be on the pricier side of the house. And that's all because of Wiley. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reality is it's a book that hasn't been done before. Um, there's not really anything related to setting up bug bounty programs at all. Um, and I think their big market or their big pitch is universities, to be honest with you. So I know it's on the pricier side of the house and it just is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. When so. it comes out, I'll definitely be recommending it. So look forward to it coming out. I have to get, get a copy as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we're getting down pretty close to the end of the show. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to talk about? Any advice you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have tons of advice. Um, but one of the things I really want, want to stress to people that are getting into hacking is that there is a learning curve and it is a very steep learning curve. Um, and I, I just want to say to all the people that are out there learning penetration testing and really want to get into hacking, like get in there and, and get your hands dirty and don't be afraid to um, not know everything. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to tell other people what you don't know, because sometimes you're going to meet people that are much, much better hackers um, and have been doing it for a very long time. Don't be afraid to tell them hey, I don't know this concept, you know, if they're talking to you about it. Um, I think working with a team is a great thing to do, meeting friends and, and working with them, hacking together, whether that's capture the flag competitions or trying to find some bugs together or hacking on a, a VDP together. Like you don't have to be a lone wolf hacker. And I think a lot of people kind of envision this, you know, hunched over person in a, in a basement hacking alone. And, and it's not it's not like that at all. So make some friends and, and learn together because I've learned a lot of skills just by working with other people. Um, and then the other aspect of that is don't be afraid. You know, if you're, if you're obviously doing legal hacking to take lower level bugs and, and show some people, you know, and some friends and try to escalate it together because, you know, a cross site scripting for uh, vulnerability, for example, is, is great. But what if you could, what if you can take that, to full admin account takeover and get in, in an admin panel that has control over a lot of sensitive uh, data, right? Like these are things that you need to think about when you're hacking is how do I escalate this? How do I get better? You know, it's a lot of, a lot of good things you can do. A lot of resources out there. YouTube is, is the place to go. Books are, books are amazing. There's so many books out there to read too. Just, you know, believe in yourself a little bit as cliche as, as that sounds just you gotta you gotta believe a little bit yeah that's great advice sometimes we can be our biggest block sometimes we're not you know believing in ourselves so that's that that's great advice and and back to you know mentioning youtube kind of how i found out about bug bounty was was following jason haddocks and then i found out about more <sighs> He's good. bug bounty people yeah and some of the techniques, if you're a pen tester and you have a, you know, not familiar bug bounty, follow some of these people because they come up with some pretty cool methods. And, you know, there's a reason why, you know, sometimes when these bug bounties are happening, someone's already performed a web app pen test on it. And then they'd be able to go behind them and find stuff. You have to be really highly skilled. So they're good to learn from. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I've definitely uh, gotten a lot of great bugs by web app hacking and I've collaborated with red teamers and penetration testers before 
that I've blown away and they're like, wow, you're such a good hacker, right? Just because I, you know, I found something exposed on the client side and took it all the way to server side or something like that. But they're just different skill sets, network hacking and web app hacking, mobile hacking, reverse engineering. They're all different skill sets that the, there's unlimited things you can learn and you don't have to master one in particular, but learning a little bit of each will definitely um, help people that are new to it. And also not being afraid of rejection because pen testing field and getting in it, especially from a job perspective, it's, it's steep. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of our show. Thanks for, for joining us. It was awesome talking to you and having you as a guest. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Phil. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to your book. Thank you. Thank look you. forward to sharing it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.